You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Pushed and held. Yep, I'm on. Okay. Well, good evening. You glad you came to church tonight? Amen. Well, I'm glad to be here. We've been looking forward to this day for a long time. I, I really love this church. It's a very special church to us, and uh, we have some memorable moments here. I remember one Sunday morning, our, our van trailer combination, our rig got stuck pull, turning around trying to get here because the GPS said, hey, there's another road you can go down, and we went down that other road because we missed the first one, pulled in, and we couldn't back out. I don't know if any of you remember, a couple of you men come out and rescued us. We had to unhitch the trailer, <laughs> turn it around, back the truck up, and came back. So anybody remember that? Uh, those, uh, okay, mate. there you go. I, I, there's still one hero left in the church, amen. <laughs> but it was really, it, it was a fun time. And I, you know, I was just so amazed at the facility. I still am amazed at how beautiful this building is and compared to the older facility that you had in the other location. But we are really thrilled to be with you today. And it's our honor and privilege to represent you on the mission field in Peru, South America. And a lot has gone on and a lot has changed since the last time we were here. We were here about six years ago, maybe a little more. And God has done some really wonderful things in Peru in that time frame, so I'm really going to enjoy giving you an update. I have a video for you, which will encapsulate a lot of what we're doing. So let me just give you some preliminary information. Uh, uh, first of all, when we went to the mission field, we had five children. We still have five children. And we're going back to the missionary with five children. The other five children are gone now, and I call these five my little gringo Latinos because they were all born in Peru, and so they have dual citizenship. They're Peruvian as well as American. And uh, let me introduce them to you. Of course, this is my wife, Lisa, and uh, she's the responsible party for all of these kids. And so uh, I might have had a little hand in that, but amen. Then there's Joy. She's 17. Stand up. There's Joy. And John, he's 14. And Joel, he's 12. And Jessica's 10. And Jennifer's 7, going on 8. And so we're really excited about uh, going back to Peru in November. And, but these are the ones that are with us now. To give you an update on the older five, quickly, my oldest son works in Peru with us. You'll see him on the video. Uh, he's married and he has two children and expecting another one. No, he's not expecting. I keep getting that one wrong. I just like the expecting part. Then my, my daughter, she, well, he's been in Peru for three years. He'll be coming home on furlough in February, and I'm sure he'll make his way up your way. Then my second uh, child, my first daughter, Julian, she lives in LaBelle, Florida, and that is the swamp cabbage capital of the world. If you don't know where LaBelle is, you stick your finger on Tampa, go about two hours south to Fort Myers, and then go in about 45 minutes, and uh, that's LaBelle. And that's where I was the assistant pastor at before I went to the mission field, and my daughter married the pastor's son. They have three children she's expecting, and that'll be number four. My third son, James, or third child, second son, James, he just finished his master's degree at, at Baptist College of Ministry and is now on deputation to come to Peru. He's going to come down with his new wife, who was an MK from Japan. Her family had been missionaries there for 30 years. She was born and raised there. Came to Bible College, and her and James met, and of course, uh, so goes the story. You know, and now they're... Uh, they're actually expecting, and so that's a neat thing too. So I have five grandchildren, two expecting new grandchildren. So he will, he's uh, going to go on for uh, deputation after six months. He's going to be there, get himself stabled, get her adjusted to Peru, and then they come home on full-time deputation to raise the support to come down and work as a church planning missionary there in Peru, South America. So see, when you supported the Coppice family, you didn't realize you got a lot of bang for your buck, did you? So... Uh, then my next son, Jared, he uh, went to Master's Baptist College for a year, got his Bible degree, a year and a half, and, and then went down and got into the Air Force. And so he is in Panama City, Florida, in the Air Force, and loving life at Tyndale Air Force Base. 
And then my next son, Judson, he went into the Marine Corps, and he's uh, in North Carolina at Camp Lejeune. And so we're really proud of our children and proud of what God is doing with them. They're all still serving the Lord. They're all still um, uh, sticking by the stuff, and we're, thank- we're thanking the Lord for that. In spite of who I am, my kids are turning out well. Amen. And so we're really thrilled about that. So that's what's happening with the children. As you know, years ago when we went down to Peru, we were primarily a, took over a deaf church and school for the deaf. Then uh, from a deaf missionary who started it way back in the six, late 60s. Well, once, we, once God placed the watch care of that ministry into our hands, we've had the privilege of seeing it expand. And for years, it was really deaf-centric. It was focused on the deaf. We started an orphanage uh, ministry through the residential school. Um, we started a Bible institute for the deaf. And then about eight years ago, the Lord put it upon my heart to, that our church ought to start working with hearing people a little more. Uh, we believe hearing people can be saved. I just want you to know that. Okay. And, and so, so a deaf church started a hearing ministry. And that hearing ministry has grown and grown and grown to what now you're about to see uh, on the video. But God has blessed. We have multiple ministries. We've started other churches. We're, we're planning ministries. We're sending out missionaries. It's an incredible ministry. Uh, you all were slated to come down and visit us several years back. It just didn't work out. Probably the Lord's timing. I'm hoping and praying. I talked to Brother Spencer. Maybe we can make that happen and we can get a group of you to come down and visit us in Peru, South America within this next couple of years. It's really great to see you come. So I'm going to let him go ahead and run the video. It will tell you, it will give you a visual presentation of what God is doing in Peru. And then I'll come back and make some more comments. Ministry is about relationships. It's about restoring a lost and dying creation back to God our Creator. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, the Bible says, God hath reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. God has given us his ministry of reconciliation. He has committed unto us the word of reconciliation, the Bible, to be our instruction manual to fulfill his ministry and he has empowered us with his authority as his ambassadors that we may tell this lost and undone world about the salvation he has provided in Jesus Christ. This ministry of reconciliation is the crimson thread that runs from Genesis through Revelation, revealing to us that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. The mechanism whereby we can be restored to a right relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. For over 18 years, the Cottbus family has been actively involved in God's ministry of reconciliation as God's ambassadors, missionaries to the deaf and hearing. In Peru, lives continue to be transformed as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God has allowed us to forge an incredible team of American and national leaders working together to fulfill the Great Commission. We have had the privilege of training and preparing men and women for the work of the ministry as well as ordaining and licensing men who have been sent out of the Fata Baptist Church and are serving the deaf and hearing across Peru, Venezuela, Ecuador, Argentina, and the United States. Through preaching, baptizing, teaching, and evangelism, we are bringing the wonderful message of the gospel to those who have never heard it or who have been blinded by the fog of religion and tradition which plagues the cultures and peoples of South America and Peru. We reach and train both deaf and hearing through church planning, deaf ministry training, our Christian residential school for the deaf with an orphanage component for abandoned deaf children, a Bible institute and college, military and police outreaches, a pro-life pregnancy crisis center, a training center to prepare and train workers, interpreters, teachers, and missionaries for the deaf, and a piano training school that teaches young children and adults to be church pianists. I would like you to meet some of the deaf and hearing people who are serving the Lord today because of Afata Ministries and visit some of our mission works here in Peru. I was raised here in Afata and when I was a teenager I felt that God had called me to preach and specifically to come back here to this ministry. And then God called me to come back here and work with the deaf. I'm so excited to be able to serve alongside my father and, and my mother in this ministry now with my wife and my two children serving here as the pastor for the deaf, serving in a mission work in El Agustino, another area of town, teaching in the school. I am learning and I am eager to learn more of the vocabulary. Also, I am studying and learning from the Word of God. 
Before, I didn't know about God. I was in the world and I was doubtful and sad until I arrived at the church, and with Pastor Joe's preaching, I began learning much more. Then I made the decision to be baptized. I want to thank God for the opportunity to serve in this place and also for the purpose that we have as a church and as a ministry to reach and preach to the young people and to all the people who need the love of God. Hello to all deaf and hearing friends. I work in Afata and I am also an assistant pastor to Pastor Joe. In the school, I teach the deaf and I am also a pastor to the deaf in Callao Baptist Church. I am here with my wife, Margot, and we are serving God here together. God tells us in John 15, 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. We rejoice in the countless lives who have been transformed through this unique and effective ministry in Peru, South America. God has chosen us, the Katvas family, and the ministry of Afata to bring forth fruit in Peru and beyond. To each church and individual who is supporting our family and ministry with your prayers, encouragement, visits, financial support, and friendship, we thank you. It is our honor to partner with you in this great ministry of reconciliation. To be an extension of each one of you on the mission field reaching the deaf and hearing as ambassadors for Christ. If not already, you too can be a part of our unique and effective mission outreach to both the deaf and hearing through your prayers and financial support. You can partner with us to reconcile deaf and hearing people back to God through the Lord Jesus Christ by supporting us as your ambassadors for Christ. As we say at Afata, from the cross, that which Jesus did. Through the church, what you, the local church, is doing. To the world, what we, your missionaries, will do. The Cotvis family, Joe, Lisa, Joy, John, Joel, Jessica, and Jennifer, ambassadors of God in the Ministry of Reconciliation in Peru, South America, and beyond. you've given us over these years to make all of this possible. We're not for churches like you, uh, like-minded, like-faith peoples who really care enough to bring the deaf to the feet of Jesus. We would not be able to do what we're doing. And uh, this church is special because you do care enough. Not only do you reach out to the deaf, you reach out to the Hispanic community, and you're doing all you can, and you have a vibrant missions program, and you've helped us in more ways than just monthly support as well. You've given to special projects, and it's been a blessing to partner with you and be your representatives there on the mission field of Peru, South America, and beyond. And as you can see, the ministry has grown a lot, and we're doing a lot of things. Those soldiers you saw, four of them were saved just before and baptized just before we came home on furlough. In May, when we were down there for the anniversary of the church, another one was saved. Uh, Frank and, and uh, Margot, let me tell you their stories. Frank was going to be a soccer star. He graduated from our school and kind of got away a little bit from the Lord. He'd come in frequently and, and uh, was doing really well at soccer. And through a combination of influences, he uh, sat down one time and got to thinking and said, you know, all I'm doing this is for, for a plastic trophy that really means nothing in the end. And he rededicated his life to the Lord and came back to church and God told me that he believed God had called him to preach and he joined our Bible Institute and graduated and then went into our four-year college program and in December graduated from that. And in May, we ordained him to the gospel ministry. In October, he married Margot. Margot, who is now expecting as well, Margot, uh, she was raised in Afata because she, at eight years old, had come to Afata and was pretty much abandoned. And so we raised her at Afata, and now she's a pastor's wife. And that's incredible, and we can tell you more of stories like that. Not only do we have the Pregnancy Crisis Center, we have families in our church who are going to abort their baby, people that weren't married, they were in crisis. Through the counseling of the Pregnancy Crisis Center, they decided not to abort the baby, and they decided to get married, and now he's, that baby's one of the crumb crunchers that runs around Afata. 
So we're really thrilled about the ministry outreach that we've had in those areas. Another ministry that we have, which is not on the video, but it's a unique ministry, in Peru they don't have foster care. So what they do is if they have a child that's abandoned or they have to take children away from family because of whatever circumstance, uh, they have to put them in one of their set homes. Well, lots of times there's no beds available and they, it takes several days to find a bed. So they started calling us because we would take the deaf children and asked if we would take a couple other kids, normal kids, uh, for uh, you know, a day or two. And we started taking a few of them and that turned into a ministry. And some of them came, groups of uh, family members, children, brothers and sisters, and they were a little bit older, and they would, we would get a chance to preach the gospel to them, and they'd get saved and then leave us. We'd never see or hear from them again. We had the privilege of one of them coming back, not even realize they were coming back. And when they came, they said, hey, I remember this place. And his sister's trying to tell him, no, we were never here before. So, oh, yes, I was. When they took us away from mom and dad, they brought me here. And uh, these people, they took care of me. They were really good. So that was a unique blessing that we don't get very often. And we just, we had in our, in my bed sleeping with me, I had children two days old, two weeks old, two months old, on up. And uh, God was good to allow us to have the privilege of caring for those children for a couple of months, some of them. And, uh, and we just really enjoyed that part of the ministry. So uh, the, the police ministry didn't go as well as I wanted. We were able to get into a battalion of the military, but the, I, I spoke with, if you've been keeping up with my prayer letters, you'll notice uh, last year, I think it was, I, I, I put in there that I had a meeting with the director of the National Police, and he's a four-star general in, um, in the Minister of Interior, and I sat down with him and explained to him what I'd like to do. I'd like to teach morals and ethics to the police department because there's a lot of corruption. And he was thrilled with it and gave me the green light to do it, but that green light never filtered down, and they had other scandals that came up, and anyways, that's been put on hold. So when I go back, we will work fervently to work on that and to develop a chaplaincy program for the law enforcement of Peru. They do have chaplains, but they're only Catholics, and they can only be Catholics by law. So they can't even fathom someone who's not a Catholic being a chaplain, and all the chaplains do is marry and bury people there. They're good for pretty much nothing else. And so... Uh, so we're wanting to develop a, a network of volunteer chaplains that can work with the, with the police stations and get in and teach these lessons on morals and ethics that, that we have developed so that we can... Uh, so you go in there, you tell them we'll teach them morals and ethics. They're all, they're all about that. Just don't, we don't want you coming in and trying to convert us to your religion. Well, we're not... Hey, we're, you believe the Bible? Oh, yeah. You believe in God? Oh, absolutely. In fact, in law enforcement, they're, they're in, on, their she, on their seal... And on their statements, it's law, gov uh, law, country, and God, the three pillars of law enforcement in Peru. And I tell them, you, teach, you do a good job about teaching about the law, you do a good job about the country, but you can't get morals and ethics from law and country because they change. But you don't do much about teaching them where, the, where morals and ethics come from. They come from God. And I'm here to help improve on that weakness. And so, well, that was a wrong way of saying that. Improve on weakness, make you more weaker. That didn't work. Anyways, I'm here to make it better, amen? And so, therefore, we were able to get in there, and I developed a series of, of lessons, and it starts with the need, and it talks about, well, if you're going to have morals and ethics, you've got to change the heart. So how do you change the heart? Well, guess what? They have to have a new relationship with the Bible and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's been working real well with the military. We pray that it will have an effect on law enforcement as well. So... Um, there are many more things I can tell you about our ministry. Uh, we have we started Annex Ministries. We're in the process of starting doing the groundbreaking work for a new church in Chiang which is a town two hours north of us. If you're reading the letters, you know you've seen the pictures of the land there. Uh, we've got a small section already reserved for the church, but we want to buy about 10 acres of land where we can put another school, possibly a, a reformer, a reform center for addictions. Um, also another pregnancy crisis center out there and uh, obviously a camp for, and especially a camp we really like to have our own camp for, for the deaf and the hearing and so you pray about that as, as we get closer we were able to get that land at almost next to nothing in comparison with other lands around the, the, the owner of the land is holding the price for us that, that he set which is in, incredibly low so pray about that uh, that we can secure that land, and once we have that land, eventually we'll be able to build on it and, and uh, really go forward. That's a, a more of a long-term vision, but we want to see it happen. So 
if you have any other questions after the service, we'll be in the hallway and just come by and meet us and talk to us and get reacquainted with us. We'd love to, love to uh, talk with you. I have two books on the table there. One of them is Into the Silence. It's a, a God's plan and purpose for reaching the deaf around the world. And another one is Biblical Principles of Parenting. It is that book that I got my, my developed my messages and the series for the morals and ethics for the police and the military. It's that good. It was an incredible, incredible book written by a pastor in Georgia. So those are available if you'd like one of those. And please take one of our new prayer cards. Um, they look a little similar to the old one, except they have an updated picture. And uh, so just uh, make sure you get one of those so you can pray for us, as I know you've been doing all these years. And again, you are more than welcome to come and visit. We'd love to have you come down. Well, I want to... Tonight, the message is going to be a little, a little bit of a teaching message. People ask me all the time, Brother Joe, why do you work with the deaf? What is it about the deaf that drew you? Do you have anyone in your family that was deaf? And no, there's none of that. Um, what, then what possessed you to begin working with the deaf? What was it about it? Uh, and I just basically said, well, I saw a pretty interpreter and I wanted to get to meet her. And I heard she was the beginning sign language class voice interpreter. So guess where I was at 6 o'clock the next Sunday night? Beginning sign language. Well, they had just changed semesters, and there was a 45-year-old lady in the chair that the voice interpreter sits in. I almost told her, excuse me, you're in the wrong seat, but then I had enough foreknowledge to realize who she was and said, I ain't saying anything to her. (laughs) And anyways, but uh, the deaf man made the class so special and so interesting and intriguing that I just fell in love with him and his teaching, and, and they became dear friends, and he's now with the Lord. But from that, I, f- I figured out we had separate deaf services on Sunday for the deaf, and I started going to deaf church, and it was all she wrote. Had deaf men come down and live in my house and become roommates so I could be totally immersed in the language. And uh, we're really thrilled at how the Lord has led and all that, and that's where I f- met my wife, by the way. No, she's not the one that I originally saw but I think I fared better, okay? Just, just, just throwing that out there in case you're wondering, oh, is that you? No, it wasn't her, you know, but, uh, but that's okay because that's where I met her, amen. And so, and, uh, but God has been so good to us. So it wasn't anything like that. I just worked with the deaf and any church I went to, I would start a deaf ministry. I'd teach sign language, do whatever I could. And then God called me. My wife had gone to Peru in 1987 for three months, and so that was in the back of her heart. She loved that ministry. And she would have gone down there as a missionary. In fact, she surrendered to go and joined BIMI and started the process of deputation. And then I brought her out on a date to the fountain in Jacksonville's boardwalk, and I said, Lisa, I believe it's God's best destiny for a woman to marry a man and follow him wherever he should go. She believed me. And she's been following me ever since. Amen. So... And then 10 years later, guess who's in Peru as a missionary? And it wasn't because of any untoward influence on her side. She did everything not to do that. But uh, when we went down on a visit in 1998, uh, I was just struck by the need. Uh, We were just there as a visit. I wasn't going there looking for God's will. I was about getting ready to take a church in Naples, Florida, and um, came back, and we're going to the mission field. And so uh, God just moves in wonderful waves and prepares us and he uniquely challenged me and uniquely equipped me for what we were doing, and I'm thrilled to be doing it. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 139, Psalm 139. Tonight I want to give you a perspective of how God looks at us and how God looks at special people. There are many people who are suffering with a tragic mindset or thought that they have offended God or done something wrong in their life, and therefore God gave them this special person in their life, whether it be a special needs child or an older father or mother or family member who has has developed uh, uh, Alzheimer's or or some other debilitating uh, disease, dementia, and they question, what have we done wrong? What, why, how have we offended God to cause him to give us this child or to put us in these circumstances? And I just want to say to you tonight, I, I will show you biblically that that is a false narrative and a false mindset. I need to establish two principles first. The first principle is God is good all the time. 
Do you believe that? Really? Okay. The second principle is this. God makes no mistakes. Do you believe that? Okay. What's principle one? God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. That's established. The second principle is God makes how many mistakes? No mistakes. All right. Do you believe those two principles? Then why does this happen in the lives of Christians on a regular basis? Oh, God, why did that have to happen to me? I've been given, I've been tired, I've been working in Sunday school, I've been running that bus ride in that heathen heat place, and oh, God, I've been doing all this, and why did this have to happen? Oh, God! You ever do that? Come on. Yes, preacher, we've done that before. Maybe not so dramatically, but you have. You've questioned God once or twice. We say we believe those two principles, and it's easy in the comfort of the air-conditioned auditorium tonight in church. Say, yes, bless God, he makes no mistakes, and he does all things well. But what about when the river runs over and floods your house? What about when you're driving, your car breaks down, or in the case of my son, (laughs) on his honeymoon coming back, the rear wheel comes off his car and rolls out in front of him. How'd you like that to happen? Yes, may I inform you, regardless of whatever difficulty, tragedy, or, or, or event that you do not understand occurs, God is still good all the time, and he makes no mistakes. Now, I want to bring that thought down to the third point that I'm going to give you tonight. See, first two points in the message are done. You already go. Got one point left. This is a long point. The third principle that I want you to understand is you are made on purpose for a purpose. There are no disposable people in God's economy. Did you know that? There's nobody to God that's a throwaway. All life comes from God. Whether the circumstances of the formation of that life are a tragic event, or whether it's one that's a joyous event, a proper event in a matrimonial uh, uh, circumstance, or whether it's a very dysfunctional circumstance, it doesn't matter. God is the only giver of life. All life comes from Him. And he has chosen, in the case of something tragic or something inappropriate, to give life in that situation for his glory and purpose. And we may not understand it. We may not. Look with me in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 14. The Bible says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. God is saying, the psalmist is saying, that, that God, I am wonderfully made. I am, I am a marvelous creation, and, and I know it well. If I were to sit back objectively and look at how I am created and the fact that I am here, that's a wonderful and marvelous thing. It's an act of creation that man cannot duplicate. We can take something and modify it, but we cannot make life out of nothing. Only God can do that. The Bible says in verse 15, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect or unformed, not complete, and in thy book, notice this, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Catch this in this verse. This verse is telling us that God wrote down in his book exactly how you would be formed before you were ever formed. Before you were a sparkle in your parents' eyes, you were a sparkle in God's eyes. And God made you that way on purpose. And he even wrote it in a book. How, you, how many hands you would have, how many noses you would have, how many toes and fingers you would have. God wrote it down, what your giftings would be. And all of that, he wrote in a book before you were ever fashioned. 
That's why we do not have a right to take what God has made. We do not have a right to judge life or or take that life through abortion or any other means like that because God already planned how that birth would be. It's like the man who came to me and said years ago, uh, we went to the doctor, my wife was pregnant, and they did some tests, and they came back and said, oh, sir, you might want to terminate this pregnancy because your child's going to have some crazy syndrome they named. It wasn't Downs, it was something else, and, and they're going to be this, and they're going to be that, and it's going to be a da-da-da-da-da-da. And the guy, horrified, said, just a minute. Whatever God gives us is going to be a blessing, and we'll take it. And they left that doctor's office. Several months later, a baby was born. It was a healthy baby girl with zero problems. See, that stuff belongs to God. God does not use birth to judge or punish you. Now, we are to take care and be good stewards of what God has given us. And if the mother was addicted to crack or something like that, and God still allows the birth to be born, and there is an issue with that baby, it's not because God malformed the baby on purpose to get back at you. It's just the natural result of, this, of sin that has occurred. But God still chose to give the life. And every life that has a uniqueness so that we would call special, God has a reason for that. And I'm going to show that to you. Listen, he wrote you in a book before you were ever formed. Before you came out of the womb, you were already written how you would be. And then look at this. The Bible says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. God doesn't just write us in a book like an artist who paints several canvases and then collects collects dust somewhere. God says he wrote us in a book and then his thoughts are upon us continually. And how much is continually? The Bible says... How precious are the sum of them? Well, in order to have a sum, you have to have more than one. Well, how many more than one? Keep reading. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. You see, God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. The Bible says his thoughts toward you as an individual as many as the sand of the sea. You see, God has that capacity. God never runs out of love. The well never runs dry because he is love. We have 10 children. When the first child was born, I thought, how can anyone love anything so much as this? I was just, I don't know what's going to happen when the second one comes. I mean, you got this mindset that love is like a pie. You take a slice out and you only have so much left. You have to keep cutting it thinner to get a little bit less. It's not the case. It's it's not a zero-sum game. When Julian was born, we loved her just as much as Joseph. When James was born, I'm thinking, man, this is great. And after every subsequent birth, there was the same amount of love available. The reservoir never dried up. I never said after Jennifer was born, oh, here comes another one. I I don't don't have many more. Hey, listen, Jennifer, I'm sorry. You're the last one on the totem pole. You get all the hand-me-down, you're going to get stuck with the hand-me-down love too. Listen, my pocketbook may be a zero-sum game, (laughs) but my love isn't. And I love that little girl, my little girl, just as I love my big boy. Each one is different and unique. How we interact with each one is different and unique, especially at different times. But the fact of the matter is, there is a ceaseless supply of God's love. And that's called agape love. It's the love that says, I love you in spite of who you are. I love you in spite of what you do. It's the same love that hung Jesus Christ on that cross. You see, God, for God so loved the world that he gave. He did that. He set that plan in motion before the foundation of the earth. God set in motion a plan because he loved us. And when he wanted to have an intimate relationship with us, that's the greatness about God. But now, so you understand every single one, even that child like Joel that was born with Down syndrome, God wrote that in a book. Even that child who had a mobility challenge, God wrote that in a book. I just read on your prayer sheet, the little girl who was born with Down syndrome that has holes in her heart. Do you know God wrote that in a book? You say, how can God be so uncommon? 
who are you or I to judge God? The point is, he doesn't have to explain anything to you. The Bible says the secret things belong to God, and those that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. We need to just worry about the things that God has revealed to us that we're supposed to be teaching our children, and let God worry about the questions that we can't answer. Because there are things that he just doesn't have to and is not obligated to reveal to us. They're his secret things. They're the things in his sovereign will he knows and has chosen not to tell us. And I'll share a good example of that later. Go with me to Exodus chapter 4, please. Exodus chapter 4. I'd like to narrow it back down. We're going to talk about special people and that God has a plan for them and God created them on purpose. They're not a mistake. They're not, you know, some parents say, oh, you were a mistake. We weren't expecting you. You know, that can hurt a child. Why can't you say, oh, you were a surprise, and we're so thrilled to have you. Thank you, Lord, for another one. No, oh, you were a mistake. With God, there are no mistakes. With God, you were on, on purpose. Here the Bible says in Exodus chapter 4, we have the unique story of Moses. Moses is um, in Egypt, 40 years, best education the world could offer, best position the world could offer, the best of everything. And he tries to help God's people his way, and he fails. So he's run for his life. He's sitting in the backside of the desert for 40 years, and God puts him in a different school, a school of humility, and it works. So now he's 80 years old, and he sees a bush that's burning, and it's not burned out, and he's curious, man, what is this? And he goes to look at it, and God begins to tell him what he wants to do with him. In verse 10, the Bible says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither hitheretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. You know, working on the backside of the desert, being a pastor to sheep, might affect your vocabulary a little bit. He probably had a hard time talking because of all the people. This guy is one of the most educated people in the world. But he's so humble now, he doesn't think he can be used of God. And look what God says. Verse 11, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Do you see that? Right there in your Bible, it tells us that God made the dumb, the deaf, the seeing, the blind. He made all those special people on purpose. Not only did he make your mouth, Moses, but all those special people that you would try to use as an excuse, I made them. They weren't accidents. They weren't, oh, what happened here? Oh, you bad boy and girl. I'm going to give you a Down syndrome kid for what you did. No, no, there's none of that. What there is is, I made them on purpose. Just like I made you, Moses, on purpose. Do you see that? Now, go with me to Leviticus chapter 19. Not only did he make them on purpose, but he put a protection for them in Scripture. This shows you how much he cares about special people. In verse 14, chapter 19, the Bible says, Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shalt fear thy God, I am the Lord. God says, you're not even to make fun or mock at people who are not like you. You're not to make fun or mock at different kind of people, people who, who might be deaf or halt or whatever the case may be, blind. You be careful. You fear me because I made them. I'm the Lord. A bunch of kids tried to mock a bald-headed preacher one time. didn't go so well for them. How many times have we thought wrong of someone who was a special need or maybe there's someone in church that had a special need child and that child just wasn't acting churchy and we begin to judge them. How dare they bring him in the church like that? Can't they teach him right? How many times have we felt awkward when our child is not, uh, you know, Joel's special. He does some really incredible things, huh? And it gets embarrassing from times. But the fact of the matter is, 
God made him on purpose. And he's using him in a special way. Just like he wants to use your special people in a special way. Just like he wants to use you in a special way. You cannot say, you know, it's, it's like the teenager, God can't use me. Like, why, why do I have to be this way? Why do I have to be the awkward one? I can't. Uh... Listen, when I was a young kid, John's age or less than John, I was one of the most awkward people around. I could, I have a bad eye. That bad eye, I do not have three-dimensional vision. Try to play basketball well without 3D vision. Try to hit the baseball without 3D vision. You know, you just don't, you're just never the one that's picked first on the team. You always get, you end up being the last guy and nobody really wants you. That was me. I, I couldn't do a lot of pull-ups when I was a young boy. I just didn't have the upper body strength and there was never any challenge to do it. And I was always the last, I had this crazy cackle laugh. I was a joke. But you know what? God wasn't done with me. Those hard times of being picked on and laughed at and never picked strengthened my character. I didn't get mad at those people. I knew that they were, they were smaller than me because they were picking on me. Why, why are you picking on me? My dad taught me well. I ended up being a cop. I was in the Navy. When I was in the police academy, I could do the most push-ups and sit-ups on all of them. I just couldn't run very fast. But you know what? God let me live some of my dreams, even though I was an awkward kid. You know, there's some really awkward kids that grow up to do great things and be great men of God. So the fact of the matter is, you young ladies, you think, well, I'm not as pretty as she is. You know what? Let me tell you something. When you want to have a bad day, just look that way. There's always someone that's better off than you. They got prettier hair, nicer skin, blah, 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 blah. But when you feel like you're somebody, you don't look that way. You look that way because there's always somebody that's in a worse state than you are to, in your opinion. So it does all depends on the mood for the day. If you want to feel good about yourself, you look that way at these poorlies. If you want to feel bad about yourself and go, woe is me, you look this way and look at all the super dupers. Fact of the matter is, there's always going to be someone that can best you, and there's always going to be someone you can best. But the Bible says we're not to compare ourselves among ourselves because we're not wise. We're not to play that game. And you be thankful for how God made you. Take care of your vessel, do well with it because you're good stewards, but don't fret. I'm never going to get married. No one's going to like me with these teeth missing. You're going to be surprised. God will find someone who's got the opposite teeth missing, and when you kiss, it'll mesh. It'll be like a zipper. Wow, how do we get out of this one? It seems to me that people eventually find the right person and they just seem to work. God knows what he's doing. Amen? Now, that leads me into another thought that I want to share with you to, to help understand this ministry that we have better. Um, Go to Matthew chapter 11, and I want to share a thought with you. Ministry has two components. One is the social component, and the other is the spiritual component. Any ministry that does not include and integrate both is a ministry that will lack in some area and will not be at, at its optimum function. There are people who think all you got to do is soul win, soul win, soul win, soul win, soul win, soul win, soul win. But they neglect the needs around them. Then there are others that all they do is care for the needy, and they don't get anyone saved. Mother Teresa, everybody loves her. She's got a Nobel Peace Prize. They have a foundation named after her. Why? Because the world honors and respects noble philanthropy or noble people who sacrifice to help others. It is one of those things that touches the heart of even the hardest of sinners. You can get the most hardened sinner, have a natural disaster come through, and the people who go out and help them, it'll melt their hearts. Every local church that preaches the gospel needs to be prepared to be involved in their community and help in any way they can when something happens in their community. They need to know that this church cares, that this church they're going to get help from, because that social aspect leads people to the spiritual in James, the Bible talks all about that. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. Not talking about salvation, but effectiveness in the eyes of man. 
And here Jesus practices this in chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? I want you to think about this. John the Baptist is one of the greatest men that ever was on the face of the earth. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. John the Baptist had some of his disciples begin following Jesus. John the Baptist was there when the Holy Spirit fell on Jesus. He knows he's the Messiah. But he's in prison for doing that which is right. He preached to the king, you can't have that woman to be your wife. King didn't like it, threw him in prison. He didn't know he was about to have his head lobbed off. But he was depressed, discouraged. You know, preachers get discouraged. They do. What do you do? Church, you need to take care of your preacher. You make sure he gets rest. You make sure he gets off, goes and gets some family time. And you make sure you send him to at least one or two conferences a year where he can get his batteries recharged. Because when you feed and care for him, he's going to come back and pour out blessings on you that you can't contain spiritually. He will feed you. It is a win-win scenario. I'm not saying you're not doing it. I'm just saying if you're not, do it. And if you do it, keep on doing it. Because preachers do get pressed. I tell my wife and I, I joke about it all the time. I had this woe is me chair. I'd sit in that chair and I just woe is me. I can't believe it. He's so better than me. Why, why can't I have his talent? Why can't I be good, good looking like Brother Ruckman? I just can't believe it, man. Tall, thin, handsome, and everything like that. I'm not going to be this fat blob. <laughs> and she would tell me, get up out of that chair. I get up. Okay, go do something. She sold the chair. It literally was a chair in my house. She picked it up and she got rid of it. We do get depressed at times. But look what Jesus said. You know what? God never criticizes or chastises a man of God who's discouraged. He helps him. And this is what he said. Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight social the lame walk social the lepers are cleansed social the deaf hear social the dead are raised up social and the poor have the gospel preached to them spiritual you see that if you look at Jesus's ministry most often he did something socially to get a spiritual truth engaged that's how he did it and that's how we should do it the bible says look back with me to to Matthew chapter 6, there's a chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good works, that they may do what? And glorify who? Your Father which is in heaven. So the good works glorify the Father. Now, why did you say that? What does that do with your core message? The point is, God made all of us on purpose, and he made special needs people on purpose because he uses them to get the glory. He uses the social aspect of caring for them, meeting their needs, being patient, being long-suffering and kind with them to do what? To let his glory shine. Because you were deaf one time, you were blind one time, you were halt one time spiritually, and God sent Jesus to die for you. Now, I'm going to give you three examples of that, and we're absolutely done. Look with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. There are many examples, so I'm going to give you three distinct ones, and the, the last one's the one I really want to focus on because it will really help you understand what I'm trying to say. In Mark chapter 7, in, in verses, uh, say, 31 on down, you have the story of the deaf man that was healed. I believe I preached this particular passage once here before, and uh, so I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But basically, you had a deaf man. He was deaf, and they brought him to Jesus to have a healing show. They wanted him to slap his head, lay hands on him. Jesus pulled the deaf man aside. Why did he do that? Because he's starting to communicate with the deaf man in a language the deaf man could understand. See, the deaf man didn't know sign language because there was none at the time other than homemade signs. He also wasn't just deaf. He had an impediment in his speech that he couldn't even form language or sentences if he wanted to. So he was really in a bad way communicatively. So he's there. They pull him aside so that he can give that deaf man value and honor. He wasn't going to make him a show in front of everybody else. 
You say, how do you know that? When was the last time you saw Jesus or you read about Jesus pulling someone apart from the crowd when he did a miracle? There was one time. There was a 12-year-old girl that had died, and he said, she sleepeth. They laughed and mocked him. He kicked them out, and then he healed her. Same thing here. He pulls them from the crowd, and he begins a one-on-one conversation with this deaf man. He goes to the deaf man, and he takes his fingers, and he sticks them in his ears. Why did he do that for? Because he's communicating with them. He's telling them, I know you're deaf. Then he spits and touches his tongue. What? He's still communicating. He's saying, I know you're not just deaf, but you have a problem right here. And I know that. Then he looks up to heaven. He's still communicating with the deaf man. Remember, they're just together. The crowd's over there. And he's took, he looks up to heaven. And the guy looks up, probably. What's up there? Jesus is saying, what's about to happen to you doesn't come from this earth. Then he sighs. Not a sigh of sadness, a sigh of love and compassion. And then he opens his mouth and Jesus says, Ephatha, or in your Spanish Bible, Ephatha, hence the name Ephatha Ministries. The word being be open. Look what the Bible says. If you read it, it's pretty interesting. The Bible says in verse 35, and when straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loose and he spake how? Plain. Now I want you to get this thought. The miracle wasn't the fact that Jesus physiologically healed this deaf man. The miracle that they, was, they marveled at so much was that he spake plain. He never heard sentences or language. He never knew, knew how to pronounce it. He couldn't even practice pronunciation because his voice wouldn't allow it. But now he's speaking like a Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew scholar. I don't know which language he was using. But whatever it was, he spoke it as if he grew up and it was his mother's tongue. Imagine that, God giving you instant language. Filling your mind with vocabulary, meaning, syntax, structure, everything you need to communicate like that. Look what the Bible says at the, in the last verse. It says, And we're beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. The Bible says that Jesus got the glory through a deaf man. Then some reporter shows up. Hey, Mr. Deaf Man, how does it feel to hear again? Oh, it's great, I can talk. <laughs> man, don't you think it's pretty sad for you have to be, I don't know how many years, how old are you? We don't know, it doesn't say. But anyways, don't you think it's pretty cool of a God to make you deaf for that long and then just some guy comes by and whack your heel? What do you got to say about that? Cruel. What are you, crazy? I got to bring glory to God. So do you think it's really worth being deaf all the year? It was absolutely worth it because I got to bring glory to God. And if I had it to do over again, i live out my life deaf again just to let Jesus come by and heal me again. You better believe it was worth it. And God gets the glory through a special needs person. John chapter 5, please. In John chapter 5, we have another special needs person, except this person's a cripple man. After the four, or during the time of the 400 silent years, and maybe sometime after the birth of Christ, we do not know when because the Bible is silent on the when. We just know the what. What happened was God started sending an angel down to the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. And he would stir up the pool, and the first person to get in was healed of whatever infirmity he had. This was an unusual event because it was a demonstration of the power of God literally on a constant, it happened frequently. So that's where the power of God was manifest for people who had all kinds of ailments. And so they would go to this place, and an angel would come, and he'd stir it up, and someone would get healed. The Bible says, though, that there was a certain man who had been in that case for 38 years. That means for 38 years he was a crippled man. It does not say whether he had been going to the pool for 38 years, but we can assume he had been going there a long time. So he would go to the pool regularly, waiting for the moving of the waters. The problem is when the waters got stirred, he had nobody that cared enough about him to help him get into it. But before he could hop in, somebody else with some other infirmity would get in and be healed. That can be discouraging. 
You go there time and time again. You're waiting for it to be for you, waiting for it to be for you, and you miss it, you miss it, you miss it every time. You see, the one neat thing about that certain man, the reason why I believe Jesus went to him, was because he did not give up faith. He did not give up hope that one day it would be him. He knew where the power of God was manifest in that day, and he decided to stay there faithfully, day in, day out, going to where the power of God was, regardless of what other people thought. He was there waiting for the moving of the water. Wouldn't it be nice if our church members thought about church that way? Where is the power of God manifest today? In the preaching from the pulpits of God. The man of God gets up, prepares a message, the Holy Spirit's on, and he preaches the word of God. And maybe it affects somebody over here this Sunday. Maybe next Sunday it's somebody back there. Maybe Wednesday night it's someone over here. Maybe Thursday in a special meeting it's this person over here. But you're just sitting here in church. You know, you know I mean, I'm glad Sister Susie got something out of that. I'm glad, I'm glad Brother Dan got something out of that. You know, it really hasn't been for me. I mean, good preaching. You know, Brother Spencer, he's a good expositor. You know, I've been enjoying it, but, you know, I haven't gotten that touch lately. You know, I mean, so maybe next Sunday I'm going to go fishing. And Sunday comes, and you're gone fishing. You left Saturday, and you ain't catching squat. But Brother Spencer caught something. God got all over him about something. His life was moved. He steps into the pulpit, and everybody looks at him. Man, the guy just floated into the pulpit. What's going on? And it begins to preach. Hearts are moved. Lives are changed. But where were you? Fishing. That would have been the day God would have stirred you, but you weren't faithful to church. Folks, don't miss church. This man was faithful day in, day out. Even when he didn't have the support structure to get him in that pool, he was hoping one day he'd be right at the edge in time and be able to jump in. But then guess what happened? Jesus came by. Wilt thou be made whole? Did he give Jesus a hard time? Well, what do you think? I'm just here for my health? No, sir. I'd love to, but when the water gets stirred, I have no man to put me in. A humble response. And Jesus says, take up thy bed and walk. And this man who's, all these other people are there. Maybe a leper. Well, probably not a leper, but maybe a guy who has a broken arm. Maybe a guy who has a disease, another person with a club foot or something wrong over here. And they're all watching this, wondering, why, we, why, 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 what's going on? But that certain man got something from Jesus that day. And God used a crippled man to bring glory to Jesus Christ. The Pharisee said, well, what is this? I can't believe you do that. Hey, what are you doing carrying your bed? Don't you know it's a Sabbath day? Who gave you permission to do that? I don't know what you're talking about. That guy healed me. I'm walking. See, the religious crowd is always against what God does. But Jesus got the glory. You know, that reporter showed up. Hey, man, aren't you that guy that that, 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 that guy was crippled? Didn't you the one that healed? That guy healed you? Oh, yeah. Man, what'd you say to him? Wasn't that kind of cruel for you to be born crippled or be crippled for 30? That's pretty cruel. What kind of a God would do that? Let me tell you something. I don't know about that. All I can tell you is I was crippled and now I'm healed. And that man right there represents my God and my God chose to heal me. It was worth every minute of it because I can glorify my God now. I can be a living testimony to him. And God used a crippled man. And that reporter just, I pack it up. Bunch of fanatics around here. Then the last one and then we'll close. John chapter 9, please. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, Brother Ruckman, you seem to be a pretty intelligent guy. I'm not going to ask your wife, so I don't want anything to blow the bubble. But can you tell me when this guy sinned before he was born to cause him to be born blind? Yeah. What a dumb question. But it's a question that was created in the same ignorance that exists for thousands of years. The same ignorance that occurred 4,000 years ago, and I'll explain that in a minute, which is the same ignorance that Jesus' disciples had 
which is the same ignorance that a deaf lady had when Joel was born. And said, what did you guys do wrong? Who messed up? It's the same ignorance that when we knocked on a door in Peru, a mother came to the door and we asked to come in and she let us in and we talked to her and she said, can we speak to your son? We know you have a deaf son. We like to talk to him. We like to minister to him. And she tells us, I do not have a deaf son. And that deaf son was sitting on the couch. She was embarrassed to have a son that was deaf. Because they had always been marginalized. They, they would slap their hands when they would try to use sign language in the, one of the schools in Peru. It was craziness. It's the same bias that causes, caused the Indian people, talking about from India, to throw their special needs children to the crocodiles because they had no value. That's the, that's the misconception I'm talking about. That same ignorance exists today. My son was born this way. My daughter was born this way. My, my mother, this is happening to her. My father, this is happening to her. What did we do to offend God? Lord, I'm sorry, I'm trying to confess all my sins, but I don't know what I'm doing. Well, let me give you the answer that Jesus gave. Ignoring the ignorance of the question, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And then Jesus commenced to healing him. That is why there are special people in the world today, so that the works of God could be manifest in and through their lives and how we interact and treat them. Because when we treat them well, with love and care and compassion, then we reflect that agape love of God and he is glorified. That is simply it. I know that's hard to understand, but a lady came to me. She had a daughter that was born with dwarfism at 21 years ago. I preached this similar message, and she came to me after the service, and she said, Brother Joe, can I, talk, can I, can I ask you a question? or Can I tell you something? Sure. She says, 21 years ago, my daughter was born with dwarfism. And for 21 years, I've begged God to tell me what I did wrong. How can I make it right? How can I fix it? But I love my daughter. I did everything. And she died recently. But for the first time in my life, I have peace to now understand and know that I didn't do anything wrong. That God entrusted a special soul to me. And I was grateful to do it. Another man stood up in a testimony service and said, Preacher! Where was that message 20 years ago when my son was born? When everybody was looking at me like I had done something wrong and I was trying to figure out what it was. Thank you. I can't tell you the countless number of people have come to me afterward and said, for the first time in my life, I have peace knowing we didn't do anything wrong. My wife cried when she was told that by that deaf lady because it was a dear friend of ours. I came into the room and she's rocking Joel, crying, and I asked her, what happened? She says, they don't understand. Joel's not a mistake. He's a blessing. We have endeavored to teach that everywhere we go because you would, not, you would be shocked to know how many people have that burden on their life. I close with this story. 4,000 years ago, there was a man that lived. His name was Job. He was a righteous man that feared God and eschewed evil. One day in heaven, a scene took place and the devil came in the presence of God and God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Job made excuses as to why, or Satan made excuses as to why Job was such a good man. And God said, okay, you can go ahead and do what you need to do. But you can't touch him or take his life. So Satan goes down and in one fell swoop, he kills his ten children. Now I have ten children, I can sense that. But if that wasn't enough, he stole or took, had all his possessions, all his wealth, in an instant, gone. And Job is there suffering, his wife is suffering, but he responds, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. He does not charge God foolishly. Then Job, Satan, goes again in the presence of God, and God says, that thou consider my servant Job. 
Well, that's because you built a hedge about him. You let me touch him, and he won't be so good to you. You all know the story. So God gives him permission to touch his life, but don't take it. And he gets just putrid sick and disgustingly sick, and we know the story. That was too much for his wife. That's when his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? But don't be so hard on the wife. She just lost how many children? Ten. She just lost all the wealth of the family, and now she lost her husband's ability to recreate that wealth. In other words, she lost all of her security. And the number one thing women desire is security. That's why they need to be loved, because love brings security. God doesn't criticize her. Job doesn't criticize her. But she did let a little bitterness creep in. Well, that was okay until some independent fundamental sin, hate, and hell preaching Baptist came along. Those mealy-mouthed friends of Job. That would not have happened to you if you weren't such a sinner. Only these things happen to big sinners like you. Well, now Job's like, hey, wait a minute. I've always tried to do right. I made sacrifices for my children just in case they blasphemed God. I don't understand God. That's when Job started questioning. And you know what God said to Job? N-O-Y-B. Nunya. That means none of your business. He gave him three chapters of the greatness of God and all that he did in creation. Where were you when I did that? Where, can, can you count? Can you do this? Can, can? And Job just shut up and said, I was stupid to even question. He repented of that moment of, 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 moment of momentary pride and questioning, and he shut his mouth and was sorry for it. And you know what? God never told Job why. But as a result of Job's proper response, God told his friends, you better ask him to pray for you or you're going to be in serious trouble. Job prayed for them and God gave him ten more children. And the three girls were the most beautiful girls in town, just like mine. And guess who gave him those children? That wife, remember her? And not only did he give him ten more children and his wealth back in doubles, but he gave him double life. He was able to see not only his children's children, but their children and their children's children. An incredible life. But in all those years, God never explained to Job why. We know because he put in a book for us. But the same mindset occurred. That's why his friends went to him. Something bad happened. You must have offended God. Folks, let me just tell you tonight, if you get nothing else, get this tonight. I said all that to say this. God is good all the time. He makes no mistakes. You are made on purpose for a purpose. And if there is a special needs person in your life, for whatever reason, God is not judging you or chastising you or using it to beat you over the head. God has entrusted you with someone special so that you can reflect the love of God and be used to bring glory to his name. If you've been carrying that load or burden, let it go. It's not yours to carry. And rest in the fact that the secret things do belong to God. He does not have to explain why he gave you that child or that person. He didn't explain to me why he gave me Joel. But you know what? I'm so glad he did. Joel is an, uh, just an integral part of our lives, and I can't imagine our home without him. With all the stubbornness. But he's our little Job. J-O-E-L, Joel. Who's your little Joel? Who's your person that you said, I messed up? Don't. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.